Hi, I'm Coach John Cook, and thanks for listening to today's episode of the Talking Hoops podcast. My guest today is Corey Britton. Corey is the head boys basketball coach at Fort Laramie High School in Shelby County, Ohio. Fort Laramie is a program with a rich, rich, rich tradition in boys basketball. Corey took the program over in 2014 and has spent the last seven seasons building the program back to the level uh, where they are competing routinely in the district, regional, and for opportunities to get to Columbus. I hope you enjoy my conversation today with Corey Britton of Fort Laramie High School. Hey, I want to take just a second and tell you how much I appreciate you listening to the Talking Hoops with Coach John Cook podcast. If you're a regular listener and you enjoy the podcast, I'd like you to consider uh, being a partner to the show. We've lost our sponsorship with Anchor. They're still our platform, but the sponsorship agreement ha- has ended after four months. And, and I would really like you to consider being a sponsor and a partner to the show. There's a place at anchor.fm. Uh, where you can uh, donate to the podcast on a monthly basis. And it can be as small as a couple of dollars and as large as you would like it to be. Uh, and we would like to consider uh, some title sponsorship if we get some some donations that are, are, are larger in nature. But I, I really am just hopeful that, that a handful of listeners who enjoy what we do here would like to see this continue and allow us the opportunity to, to gain from it and pay off some things too on our end here at the podcast. So if you're a regular listener to the podcast and you enjoy what we do and you have any interest at all in, in being a sponsor and, and making a monthly donation to the podcast, please visit anchor.fm and uh, check out the option of, of making a monthly donation to the podcast. Greatly appreciate your consideration. And as always, whether you're a donor or not, uh, we hope you continue to listen and find enjoyment in Talking Hoops with Coach John Cook. Hey, thanks for joining us for today's episode of the Talking Hoops podcast. I'm John Cook, and my guest today is Coach Corey Britton. Corey is the head boys basketball coach at Fort Loramie High School in Shelby County, Ohio. Uh, those are, of you who are Northwest or West Central Ohio listeners will have a lot of familiarity with Fort Loramie. As I mentioned in the intro, the, the, the tradition of the program is, is incredible. It's a deep, rich uh, history and tradition of success in boys basketball, and Corey got the job in 2014, but we're going to talk about Corey's journey in coaching, and then uh, before we spend some of our time in the second uh, half of the of the episode talking about his his time at Fort Laramie and the things that he does there. Corey, how are you doing this morning? I'm doing fantastic, John. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, I've, I've been looking forward to this, man. I, you and I met, I don't know, I don't know, long, it feels like seven or eight years ago now, uh, because I was involved with the shootouts at, at Ohio Northern and at Bluffton university and you you bring your teams to to both places uh, fairly often and so but the, the the truth of the matter is your connection to me goes back a hell of a lot further than that my man because when I was a head basketball coach at Ada High School in 97 98 99 96 97 98 uh, I, I competed with your dad and and can't tell you what an experience that was for a young head coach uh, I was really blessed to have a lot of guys that when I competed with them, they made me a better coach. And more importantly, away from the floor, they had a willingness to, to try to help me become a better coach. And your dad was one of those guys. So even though I've only known you for a handful of years, I feel like that connection goes a lot further back than that because I was fortunate to know your dad. Uh, talk a little bit, if you would, about what it was like growing up uh, in the home of a head coach and, and the time that you spent you know, with your dad when you were growing up and how it impacted you. Uh, I mean – my, my dad's influence on me is uh, um, it's hard to put into words, to be honest. I mean, I, I love sports, and I love the game of basketball because of him. Um, I can I can remember early days at Macomb when uh, 
I mean, a funny story that just pops into my head. We, we'd go to practice every Saturday morning together. And I'd watch my dad stick his key fob in. I mean, it was old days where you had the key fob, just put the baskets down in the comb. And, shoot, I had to be three or four years old, and I thought I was going to use his keys and put down the baskets, and I stuck it into an electrical outlet. <laughs> That's just, that's just, I mean, how it was. I wanted to be just like him. Um, went to every game. Uh, I was born on January, Friday, January the 13th. And my mom and dad had me at my first basketball game like five days later. So, I mean, um, growing up with my dad, yeah, it, playing for him was a whole other story. That was a, that was a learning experience in himself. But, I mean, we, we spent some long days, Macomb days. My dad was a head boys basketball coach and athletic director. and. We moved up to Margareta for about six or seven years, and he was the boys' basketball coach for three years there. And then uh, we finished up our career, or his career, at Hopewell Loudon, and he was the athletic director and head boys' basketball coach there. And my freshman year at Hopewell Loudon, we actually, I actually played football, and my dad got the job in late July, and two-a-days started. And we had split two-a-days. So we went in the mornings and in the evenings. So we were at school by about six. And then I would just stay at school all day with him, and we'd have uh, second round two days from seven thirty to nine, and I'd be with him all day long. So we spent a lot of great time together. We've we've done a lot of amazing trips. He's a he's a huge sports junkie. I mean, we've we've done everything from the College World Series to the Little League World Series to the Final Four. We've we've about done it all together. So that relationship is uh, near and dear to my heart. Well, and, and I'm not surprised to hear that. Uh, I mean, I honestly, you, you know, your dad, like I said, was a huge influence on me, whether he knew it or not. Uh, he, he was a de facto mentor to me because he, he forced me to be a better coach. And, and, and I thought his teams were always extremely well prepared. Um, and, and I think he would tell you in the three years that we went head to head when he was at Macomb and I was at Ada, uh, it seemed like the games always came down to the last possession. And and uh, or, or ended up in overtime and, and it just it was it was fun competing with your dad. In fact, I think I remember now that you mentioned all those details, I think I might have actually met you when you guys were at Margareta because I think we were up in Toledo maybe for some district tournaments or something and and uh, went and grabbed a, some wings someplace between a couple of games. And I, I, I don't know how old you would have been when your dad was at Margareta, but you weren't very old. And and I remember hanging out with you guys a little bit then. But I, the, the reason I asked all that question was to set up this, is that when you made the determination that you wanted to be a coach, um, first of all, talk about how early that was. Second of all, you know, in the time that you spent growing up with your dad and then when you got in, into college and had the chance to start really observing, basketball was starting to evolve a little bit at that time and, and change. Can you talk a little bit uh, about how you married your dad's influence and what you saw differently and what was changing about the game and how it impacted you as a, as a coach in the, uh, potentially as a coach in the future. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've known I wanted to be a teacher since probably kindergarten. Um, I love everything about school. Um, waking up every day, going to see the kids, trying to make an impact on um, somebody else's life. And coaching just sort of came along as we went, especially, um, in the high school years, we'd have summer basketball camps or summer baseball camps and just getting in the gym with the, with the younger kids has always been a passion of mine. Um, I've, I've loved teaching them. I've, I've loved trying to be a role model and, and just getting to know each individual kid and having a blast with them. And, and that's where my passion for coaching really took off there. And, um, 
after I graduated from Oklahoma in 2007, uh, took a visit to the University of Toledo and uh, went on a college visit to the University of Finley. And those are the only two places I visited. And at Toledo, I had an opportunity to work with the baseball team, and uh, baseball was probably my biggest passion in high school. And um, met Coach Me up at the University of Toledo and sat down and talked with him and. We had a great conversation, and then I went to the University of Finley about a week and a half later and had a conversation with Coach Neekamp, and he said, you know, they have a, a little bit of a paid position, and I'd help out with the basketball team as a student manager, and I went on campus, and I met the people at the education program at the University of Finley, and I fell in love with the campus. Um, so I decided to go there, and my, uh, my observation of basketball went from I thought I knew a lot to knowing very, very little watching one of the best college programs in the country go at it every day. So uh, that's it. Was uh, My time at the University of Finley was super impactful. And I still do a lot of things that I picked up and learned from my dad, um, especially on the defensive end of the floor. But um, offensively, we sort of molded and, and moved more of a, of a five-out ball screen and trying to spread the floor a little bit um, more than more of what we uh, I saw at the University of Finley. Now, and, and I want to get into the X's and O's pieces a little bit later in, in, in the podcast, because I think that it's going to be a, a, a fun to talk about the evolution of things. And particularly with where you coach now, I, I think we could spend probably an entire podcast on the Shelby County League. Uh, and, and the styles of play and the coaches that you compete with. And we'll, we'll touch on some of those things, but I, I think that league is, is fascinating and was, I guess I put in quotes, blessed to spend two years there uh, at Jackson Center myself. I, I didn't have a great team, but I had a great experience uh, with the guys in that league and, and, and the people there. And, and we'll get into that as well. But when you spent your time at Finley as a student manager, uh, with the basketball team, that's that's near and dear to my heart because I spent four years at Ohio Northern University in, in a very similar role, although they didn't have any money for me. I was really irritated. I couldn't qualify for work study, and, and that's a lot of hours. But, you know, I think there's a lot of people uh, in the general public, let's say, who would say, well, you were a student manager, so what, what what does that really mean? What does that have to do with coaching? Can you can you talk a little bit and speak to the, the learning process that was and the things that you were exposed to as a student manager that maybe were really, really beneficial to a, a, a long-term career in coaching? Yes. I mean, I, I know everybody sees the, the manager role and they automatically think a uh, low man on the totem pole and, and just doing uh, sort of the grudge work around things. And, and I did a lot of it, um, but to be honest, I wouldn't trade it for the world. Um, experiences that I got to, got to have in four years at the University of Finley were, uh, for me, life-changing. Um, number one, I mean, in the off-season, uh, I helped out Coach Ernst in the, in the offices doing a lot of mailing, getting ready for the season. Um, but then when it came down to the season, yeah, I did a lot of the laundry for our guys, um, a lot of the videotaping. My first two years at the University of Finley, I videotaped every home game. Um, and was charged in, in charge of, you know, getting our games taped, getting them up online on our conference um, website uh, for teams to download our next opponent. We had, I think, like a 24-hour rule, so that was stressful, you know, when technology uh, wasn't working right. And that was probably the biggest thing uh, that I know you asked what's changed is just the technology around basketball since my time at Finley to where it is now. It's, 
it's mind-boggling how it changed. I remember when I was videotaping games, we used to stream it through the TV in one of the coaches' office, and I had to push record before I climbed up the bleachers in the gym to go tape the game. So we had a DVD copy afterwards. So that's where the technology has changed um, from from here to there. But um, just watching practice every day, I was in charge of setting up practice, running this clock, running the scoreboard, being a passer. Um, but the best part about my experience at Finley was Coach Ernst and Coach Camp and Coach Shardo, they allowed me to do more the more I showed that I was invested, I believe. Um, my first year, I did laundry and I videotaped games and was at practice. And my second year, I was able to be a, a body at practice, be, whether it be a passer or um, a rebounder for somebody. And then my third year, I got to sit on the bench and I was charting things um, at the end of our bench. And same thing with our fourth year. I finally got to travel a lot of places in my last year at Finley and did a lot of the charting. Um, help especially during tournament time um record games and, and make sure we had things on our scouting sheets um for players it was uh, my my role at finley improved um over the four years and and just being able to watch coach Ernst and coach knee camp run a program and visually seeing it and running their practices that that right there is is a professional development that I don't think a lot of people can get. Well, and Corey, I'm glad you mentioned that that whole the whole kind of big picture view of things because the one thing I felt like was remarkably valuable to me in being a student manager uh, at, at the place that I was is the realization really early. Number well, a couple of things. Number one, that opportunity is everywhere, and you can't necessarily. Uh, identify opportunity based on how glamorous it is or how close to the, 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 the dream job it is. Opportunity exists everywhere. I think the second thing that I, I valued from my experience was the realization that it's the behind the scenes, not glamorous grind part of coaching that you have to love if you're going to make it work long term. Um, everybody likes game night and everybody likes, you know, kind of when the team's doing well or when the public gets behind you. But it is, I mean, a lot of coaching is the behind the scenes, quote unquote, grunt work. It's the non-glamorous stuff. And, and a lot of being a good player is the same way. I, as, as a high school coach, it was always, I thought, beneficial to me to be able to say to, to the players, you know, the, the, the little things I'm asking you to do matter. And I know it because I lived it. Um, whether it's playing or coaching, there's a real truth to the fact that the little things that are behind the scenes that people don't see that feel like drudgery, uh, are often the things that make the biggest difference. And what you described about watching guys run a program and realizing uh, kind of the whole big picture that goes into that. I don't know. I just, I've always had a, 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 I guess I'm a little biased, but I'd like to hear your perspective. I just think that guys that spend four years working with a college program as a student manager or as a student assistant, I think they're more prepared for coaching, maybe even than some of the guys that jump right into high school coaching uh, as as college students, what are your thoughts on that? Oh, I just think you, for me at least, you just have so much opportunity to learn. I mean, my first, well, my first three years at the University of Finland, we made the Sweet 16. My freshman year, we won the national championship. My second year, and my third year, we uh, won the GLIAC again and made the NCAA tournament. So, I mean, I you, you just learn, and that's probably one of the biggest takeaways I, I took. Nothing ever changed at Finley. I mean, whether we were playing somebody on our schedule that we would 
we should beat by 30 or we were playing a Grand Valley State that we knew was going to be back and forth and a really good basketball game. Nothing ever changed the way our coaches prepared, um, their scouting reports, um, the way they had things done in practice. It was it was routine, and you couldn't tell whether it was a big game or it was just another Thursday night GLIAC battle. I mean, it, everything was the same, and that was probably the, the biggest takeaway I had is just the amount of basketball I was able to watch. And the more you watch, the more you learn, at least that's my opinion. And, I mean, the year we won the national championship, we played three GLIAC tournament games at home, and I had to videotape um, both semifinal games, so I got to watch two other teams. And then we had the NCAA tournament at our place that year. So eight teams came into our place, and I had to record four games on day one, two games on day two, and then the regional championship against Bellarmine. So just watching a ton of basketball and, and getting and getting to sit back and watch how other coaches go about things and then philosophies and sets and things like that. I, I'll have to find it. We just moved to our new house, but uh, I have a binder full of um, sketches and um, practice schedules that I still pull out from time to time when I need a new shooting drill and things like that. So just the resources and, and having Coach Ernst a call away anytime I have a question for him is, is probably another huge resource as well. Uh, no, no question about that. I was fortunate to have Coach Ernst on the podcast in an earlier episode. And, and uh, you know, I, I've said it before. I mean, here in Northwest Ohio, we're remarkably blessed by – really quality high school coaches, but we're also really blessed over historically by outstanding small college coaches that make themselves available and obviously being uh, waist deep in that program like you were and, and, and a part of it every day. Uh, and that doesn't end when, when graduation happens. It doesn't end for players and it doesn't end for, for guys that did what you and I did either. So when you, when you were at the University of Finley, if I remember correctly, you and I, you shared some information with me, you know, over the last couple of weeks before we got everything set up to do this. You also spent some time uh, involved in high school coaching then as well? Yes. Um, not um, not as much as I, I uh, probably would have liked, but uh, every spring in my college, um, I coach baseball in Lacombe with uh, Aaron Roth, um, who I've known. He replaced my dad at Macomb, so I've, I've known Aaron for years and years and years and years. And uh, he got the baseball job in the spring to be the head baseball coach as well as the head basketball coach in the spring of my freshman year. And I called Aaron and just said, hey, I love baseball. Um, can I help you coach? And he welcomed me on. So I coached baseball for uh, three of the four years while I was in college at Macomb. And, and um, going into my junior year, uh, the JV coach is actually having a baby in uh, late October, early November, I think. So they sort of asked me if I would help every once in a while. And obviously with the University of Finley schedule, we played every Thursday and Saturday. So Friday nights and Saturday evenings were pretty much available for me to help out when I could. I couldn't get to a lot of practices unless they practiced late. Um and I wasn't traveling with the men's team at Finley yet as a junior. So when Finley would go out of town, they'd leave Thursday morning and they'd be gone till Saturday afternoon. So I, my responsibilities on campus were very limited. So I was able to help out at Macomb. And that was just a, another unbelievable learning experience uh, working for Coach Roth. Uh, they had two unbelievably talented teams the two years I helped. Uh, the, my junior year, 
I think they went 16 and four during the regular season and we lost to Miller city in the sectional finals. And then my senior year, we went 20 and Oh, and we lost to continental in the regional finals and uh, a game that still haunts my memories. So, um, <laughs> but just talking about helping four years at the university of Finley with um, obviously one of the best college programs in the country. And then on the side, when I had time, helping out with a program like Macomb, who was really clicking right there. And Coach Ross, one of the best in the business. Uh, that was a double dose of basketball heaven for me. Well, and, and I really had a ton of respect for Coach Roth and his teams. And and just competing with them a little bit that I did, I they, they were never enjoyable to play against. There was just something different about the way they approached things. And uh, obviously they, they were, as you said, for the most part during his time there, they had a ton of talent. Uh, but even when they weren't as talented, they just made life miserable, made it difficult uh, for you to do the things you wanted to do. And and I, I always like to ask this question because Coach Roth was was a Finley guy and, and you were at the University of Finley. And was, am I correct that basically your dad and Aaron kind of traded places? In what, in what respect? Did, did, did Coach, was Coach Roth at Margareta before your dad? <laughs> He, I believe he was at Sandusky, same area. Oh, okay, okay. I know they, yeah. they were in the, in the same area, but talk a little bit, if you yeah. would, about about what you – what were some of the things that stand out about what you kind of took in from Coach Roth that you added to – I mean, you were learning a ton from your dad from the University of Finley. What were some things that stood out about what you gained from your time with Coach Roth? I, I One of the biggest things that I probably learned from Aaron was just the fact that he was so ultra focused on what he was going to do and his kids were going to do on game night. Um, I, I get this way a lot right now. I get so focused on what the other team might do to us that maybe I don't have um, an offensive game plan tightened up as much as I should. Or, But Aaron was, was almost the opposite. Not that he wasn't worried about the X's and O's and, and what defense and what other teams might do to him, but he wanted to make sure his kids were ready to go for every situation. Um, and and that's probably my biggest takeaway from Aaron. It's probably something I'm still trying to learn to do. Um, try not so much to, you know, get your defensive game plan um, narrowed narrow down to perfection. But Aaron was always, always, always ready to have his kids to go. I mean, it didn't matter what other teams threw at us, whether it was triangle twos or boxes and ones. Our kids were always, always ready to go, and, and they could adapt on a fly. So that's, that's one of the greatest qualities that I learned from Coach Roth. We weren't, we didn't spend hours and hours and hours on the other team's game plan. We spent hours and hours and hours on ourselves, and and obviously it, it worked. Well, and that, now that you said that, it makes a ton of sense. I remember competing with his teams. It seemed like defensively, uh, they 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 generally kind of kind of sloughed off a little bit, played in the gaps really heavy, switched a lot of things so they didn't have to, to spend a ton of time obviously addressing situationally specific things. They were just going to kind of be back in the gaps. They didn't have tremendous ball pressure, but they were so long oftentimes that you know they could body a little bit. But what you said about their offensive preparedness came through for sure because their execution was always incredibly sharp and and – I was like you said, I was one of those guys because the guys I learned from it was about preparation. It was about taking away that that things that teams wanted. And I thought his teams were remarkably well prepared to counter uh, the things that you were going to do to take away what they did well. And, and 
they made it hard to play offense against them because they, it just wasn't that typical that you would have a team that wasn't up in you and really, really talking about taking away certain things. They just kind of muddied things up and they were physical and they muddied things up and they kind of switched a lot of stuff. But I, I thought offensively they were really difficult to take anything away because they, they, they tended to counter things extremely well, uh, regardless of what your, your move was to take away their quote unquote go-to action. They, they did a great job of countering that and playing on the backside of things and, and, and getting things done. Um, after you graduated from the University of Finley, uh, I ask this question all the time. There, there's, Corey, there's always that, that kind of somewhat wide gulf between I've got a teaching degree and I've got my college degree and I want to be a teacher and a coach and I'd really like to go here. And then the other side of that, that gulf is but I got to go where there's a job available and, and you had to make a sizable move right out of college. Yeah, correct. Uh, that was, it's still, uh, one of the, I don't, I don't know if you call it mind boggling, but I know it caught my parents off guard. I graduated from the university of Finley and, uh, to be honest, I, I, I graduated my education degree, but I didn't pass, um, my state exam. And at the time I had to wait, like 30 or 60 days before I could take my exam again. And so I was looking at jobs and I actually just moved into an apartment with one of my best friends in Finley and was just planning on coaching at Macomb um, again next, next winter and in spring. Um, and I was looking at jobs and I saw Reedsville Eastern was looking for a boys basketball coach with teaching positions as a possibility. And I, told my dad that I was going to apply for it. He's like, do you even know where it is? I said, no, it doesn't matter. I'll figure it out later. Um, so I applied for it, and it was about a week and a half later, I, I got a phone call, and I was driving, and it was just one of those conversations, and it was just I was taken back by it. It was uh, Pam Dawson was the um, AD down there at the time, and she called me, and she introduced herself and she said I'm from Eastern High School and we were wondering if you'd come down for an interview I was where I didn't really I sort of forgot that I applied for the job but <laughs> I said yeah I'll come I'll come down and uh, I went down and it was actually late July at this point so it was uh, late in the game and I ended up getting a job at Reedsville Eastern High School and that was an incredible, sizable move. And it was probably one of the most difficult things I've ever done for two years. Um, my family means everything in the world to me. Uh, I'm still super close to my mom and my dad. Um, I have family in Northwest Ohio, born and raised. And I got the job on like at the end of July and 1st of August. I packed everything up and I moved to Athens, Ohio, which is about three and a half hours away. I've never been there before in my life. I didn't know a soul and uh, decided to take on a coaching job down there. Um, I was a substitute teacher for my first year, and I spent two years in, in southeastern Ohio, and uh, I learned a lot from my experience down there. Well, I, I, it's, it's funny, the parallels. I talked about the parallels you and I share, but my, my twin brother, when he graduated from Bluffton, his first job was at Alexander. Uh, at the middle schools down there at Shade and New Marshfield, right down in, in that neck of the woods. And if, yep. you're, if you're coaching at Reedsville Eastern, you're going against some legendary guys and competing against some programs that people in Northwest Ohio may not know a ton about. Uh, but two things are, are, are for sure. Number one, there's really good coaches down there. Number two, basketball matters a ton to those people. 
Um, and, and, and it's really a, a, a great learning opportunity. And I know you mentioned that it was a difficult time being away from family and those kind of things. Um, so we, we got about three or four minutes left before we need to take a break. But at, at the end of those two years, talk, if you would, a little bit about what your thought process was and, and maybe staying there or moving on. And, and you ended up coming back to toward this area and coaching girls basketball. Correct. I mean, when I got down there, uh, everybody was very honest and upfront with me saying there, there, there's just nothing here. Um, they had like one of you, you talked about one of the legendary coaches down there, Howie Caldwell. Um, I followed him. Howie won, has won 500 games. He's now at Trimble. Um, still, still coaching, still having a wonderful year. And, you know, I just, I wanted to take a shot. I thought, I I mean, out of college, you think you know a lot. You just spent all this time at the University of Findlay. And, and you know, we started three and one. We, we were we were off to a great start in my first year. And I think we lost 15 games in a row after that. Um, <laughs> lost the first round tournament game. And my second year starts and my best player breaks his wrist in the last football game. So he's out for like eight weeks. And uh, the night before our home opener, my uh, 6'3 post player breaks his ankle. So he's out for like six weeks. So we were off to a terrible start my second year. I think we were like 3-11. and 11, And we won six out of our last eight. And we played Racine Southern in the sectional finals. And found a way to beat them. And we played Portsmouth Notre Dame. It was 21-1 and one at the time. Um, and we had them. We were up five with the basketball with 26 seconds left in the district semifinals and lost um, in regulation, might I add. Um, so it was just an incredible learning experience. You And I, I said it was one of the most difficult times of my life because when you lose 15 games in a row and you think you have a good idea of where you want to go and how you can be successful and you finish your first year at 5 and 16 and your second year you start out at like 3 and 12, you really start to second-guess yourself. Um and that was really hard when you're three and a half hours away from the closest family member and there's no one around. So uh, just just that thought of not being able to do it, not being able to be successful was uh, was very difficult. But uh, I give a lot of credit to that group of guys that we had. They they ride the ship and we sort of found a way to compete down there and uh, won some games at the end. Well, it sounds like a, a tremendously difficult experience to go through, particularly being on your own. But again, I think really valuable. Lenny Acuff is a college coach at, at Lipscomb University that I really respect. And Lenny, Lenny likes to say that in coaching, you're either humble or you're about to be. And, and that's a big part of coaching, what you went through. And I, I think there are guys that never get to experience that part of it, that, that there's just some real growth in that. And you got to experience that at a very early age and the, the, the self-doubt and the questioning and those kind of things I can certainly relate to. Uh, but that turns around quickly for you. And after we take our break, I want to come back and get into your decision to jump uh, back into this area of Ohio and, and your time spent coaching girls basketball. All right, we'll take a quick break and be right back. Hey, I wanted to interrupt the podcast just for a second to say thanks again for listening. I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. But I had a quick announcement for any of our listeners that are coaches or interested coaches in Northwest and West Central Ohio uh, looking to get involved in a clinic or coaches social type setting. Coach Greg Elking at New Bremen High School and I are working together uh, to put on an event called Talking Hoops Coaches Clinic and Social. It is Saturday, October 17th at the Halls of Hanover in Minster, Ohio. Again, if you're interested, you'll need to RSVP to Coach Greg Elking. That's Coach Elk, 
at gmail.com, or you can reach out to me and I can direct you uh, uh, to Greg to get the information you need. My email is coachjohncook at yahoo.com. It's got a limited capacity and we are holding it on October 17th. It's really short notice. So if you're interested at all, please RSVP now by contacting me again, coachjohncook at yahoo.com or contact Greg Elking at coachelk34 at gmail.com. Hope to see you on Saturday, October 17th in Minster. So, Coach Britton, uh, you, you've described in pretty good detail the challenges that you faced personally and professionally at Reedsville Eastern. And, and, you know, obviously not having the kind of success that any coach would like to have. But, I, again, I think the importance of recognizing the things that you could hang your hat on, where there were some, some things that could be considered progress and getting to define some successes that are outside of just what the final win-loss record says – there, there were definitely some things, even though you maybe had discussed questioning yourself and having some doubt, when you look back on that, and now as, you, as we talk about it, you can definitely identify the things that were positives. Um, at the end of that second year, talk about your, your process and in, in maybe wanting to get back a little closer to home, but uh, what drew you to or what was the opportunity at Riverside, what was the, the, the job and the position that was available? And then talk about that process of, of applying to and going through the process of being hired to coach the, the girls basketball team at River at uh, Riverside High School. Sure. I mean, uh, I, I think as a positive when I was leaving uh, Eastern, I felt really good about where, where how we ended our season at Eastern. I mean, winning six of our last eight, winning the sexual championship, and then playing – Portsmouth Notre Dame about as well as we could have and just didn't finish um, gave me some confidence again that I maybe maybe I could do this and and it really helped with Portsmouth Notre Dame went all the way to the regional finals that year and then lost in the regional championship game so that gave me a little boost of extra confidence so but I guess the the whole Riverside situation came about because it was time for me to get a teaching job it was time for me to use my college degree um from the University of Finley and get a teaching job. So I applied for every head boys basketball coach and social studies job on this side of the state, on the western side of the state. I'm, I, I, I applied at places like Eaton, Wapakoneta, Art Northern, Riverside. There were several that summer. And, and I had five or six interviews um, at different places. Um, a couple second interviews, and the the place that stuck the most was was Riverside. Again, it was a place that I've never been before. Um, I've never been down in this part of Ohio for any long periods of time. But the Riverside job came about, and actually, their boys and their girls' job was open. So um, I I applied for their boys' job, and they had a social studies uh, opportunity available. I applied for the job and I had an interview and I actually had a second interview and, and I thought things went really well from both of them. And, and to be honest, one of the first people I called was, was Scott Elker. Um, I, Scott's another university of Finley guy and, and one of the most respectable coaches and best coaches in the state of Ohio. And I called Scott and I don't know if he made a call over to their superintendent for me, but I ended up getting a job at, at Riverside and, and, Surprisingly, I was offered the girls' job, and that was a little bit of a shock for me. Um, I was hoping to get the boys' job, 
but they offered me the girls basketball job and and to be honest I took three or four days to, to answer them because I just wasn't overly excited about it um I've never envisioned myself coaching girls basketball before I've always wanted to be a boys basketball coach I've never done anything like that before so I had some reservations but I ultimately needed a teaching job I needed to start my career so I accepted and, and, and moved to Sydney. I ended up living in Sydney while working in DeGrasse and, and was the girls' basketball coach down there. And, and to be honest, and it changed me in a lot of ways and in a lot of good ways. Um, I was a little bit of a hothead um, coming out of college and um, got after my guys and got red in the face quite a bit. And, and coach girls' basketball changed that about me. I, I was a little bit more relaxed and – um, first couple outbursts I had, a couple girls in the gym started crying. And that's, just not, that's just not how I wanted my program to be. And if I was going to do it, I was going to do it to the best of my abilities and try to do it right. So um, I had to relax a little bit. I, I truly, truly enjoyed my time at Riverside. Well, and, and, and if you hadn't have talked about that that directly, I probably was going to ask with your personality type and the – the competitor and the and with the intensity that you do things, um, was it a tough transition? Obviously, you talked about it and, and you made the transition. What, I, what I'm always curious about because I've I think I've been fortunate to spend a little bit of time coaching uh, women's programs with women's programs at the college level and and actually my first I guess my first quote unquote coaching experience at the high school level was when I was a senior in high school and I I was technically speaking I was the trainer for our high school girls team at Upper Saddle Valley because I taped ankles and did that. But in reality, I, I was essentially a student assistant coach. Mike Reisner was the girls coach and and he worked elsewhere and would get to practice late most days coming from his job. And I was the guy that was getting practice started. And that was the first experience I had on a day-to-day basis with, with instructing uh, females in, in the gym. And so you talked about your own personality adjustments and and how you had to make some changes. But I'm always curious, Corey, to talk a little bit about the actual nuts and bolts of coaching. Uh, because my experience, and I guess I'll ask you to speak to this, it has always felt to me like coaching girls, one of the differences is, as often as not, girls don't assume they know more than you do, or they know as much as you do, and they're extremely coachable. They want to do exactly what you're telling them to do. And, and from that standpoint, I found coaching girls to be enjoyable. What what was your experience like in that area? I I would uh, agree wholeheartedly. Um, they they do they they're very coachable. They they do almost everything you ask them to do, and and there's very very few times where attitudes or egos came into play um, from either side, and and it was sort of refreshing. I mean, I went from coaching boys where we did a lot of and this is my younger days i didn't know any better but we did we did a lot of game planning and 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 skill specific things to get ready for our opponents and when i got to riverside um our third game of the year we played waynesfield goshen and they were absolutely loaded that year they had uh some pretty good they had pat the patent girl and had a Alicia Kessler, who ended up finishing her career at Jackson Center, but they were really, really good. Um, they beat us like 79 to like 15. And it was one of the longest games I've ever been a part of. But um, after the next day of practice, I asked the girls, what what, what are we trying to do here? And they just, we just want to compete, coach. We just want to play. 
And, and that's when we started working on our skills and our ball handling and our dribbling and almost completely forgot about specific things that we were going to play against. And we just, we just focused on our skills and, and the girls loved it. I mean, they were just learning the game of basketball and they, we started competing and just to see the transformation and, and not only their skills, but their confidence level as the season grew was, uh, uh, a memory that'll definitely stick into my mind. We played um, USV at the end of the year, and we needed to win to stay in the league race. We only had one loss at that time. And the year before, all the girls would talk about the week before is how they got beat by 54 points the year before. Um, and I was like, holy crap, we only lost by 60-some. I don't know if I could do another 50-point <laughs> loss. And so I, I, we were having lunch with my athletic director, and one of uh, – good friends of mine who was also a teacher in the building and I was like I don't know we'll see what happens tonight we'll see what happens and my little point guard hit a shot at the buzzer and we sort of played stall ball and we were up four going to the fourth quarter and just to walk into the locker room I think we lost by two we missed a three-pointer at the buzzer to win it and walking into the locker room and seeing those girls crying because they had a chance to win was was a, a memory that will definitely stick with me forever and I, I truly enjoyed my time. I had an unbelievable group of girls. I had great support from our administration. And it got to the point in that spring, I applied for three boys' jobs. I applied for a job at Marion Elgin. I applied for a boys' job in Mechanicsburg. And I obviously applied for the, the boys' job at Fort Lauderdale. And I didn't, didn't hear anything back from Elgin. Um, and I had a second interview at Mechanicsburg, that went really, really well as I was going through this process with uh, Fort Loramie. I actually turned down the Mechanicsburg job to stay the girls coach at Riverside. That's how much I enjoyed it. Wow. That, that's that's a heck of a statement. That's really interesting. And you interviewed at Mechanicsburg. Did you interview with Paul Hershberger? Oh, I couldn't, I, I couldn't tell you. It was uh, their athletic director and their girls basketball coach. Oh, okay. All right. Prob- Paul, I think Paul probably was the principal at that time, but – the reason I asked that is Paul had been a, a, a boys basketball coach himself. I'm always, I was always interested when I went into an interview to know if anybody in the interview room was going to be the guy that was, you know, had the head coaching experience and and, and knew a lot about what was going on. And at Mechanicsburg, that our AD would be in that spot, and obviously their their principal would have been as well. But um, when you're when you're in that situation, like you were at at Riverside, and you feel like you're making some real progress, can you talk a little bit about how what that felt like versus you know, in your heart of hearts, knowing you wanted to be a boys coach, uh, j- just just the internal struggle maybe that you, you dealt with with that? Yeah, I, I don't know if there was a whole lot of internal struggle. At the time, I was 24, 25 years old. Um, I was really had nothing else going on in my life. I, I wasn't married or had kids at that point in time. Just sort of living in the moment, to be honest with you, John. I was just happy with where I was. I I really enjoyed my teaching job. I was I was finally teaching social studies, and I had great kids in the classroom, and I had a small group of friends that uh, that I hung out with, and I, I enjoyed the basketball aspect of it. And we were going to start a youth program the following year. I was just just happy to be there and just just enjoying my life, to be honest with you. So, what what did you know about Fort Loramie traditionally when you applied for that job and started that process? 
Well, the first thing I knew is, is they've won three state championships and uh, were very, very good year in, year out. And obviously that that piqued my interest um, from the very beginning. Um, I mean, you always dream about pl- or coaching or playing for programs that are ultra successful. And I, I wanted to be a part of it. So um, I applied and that's about all I knew. Um, from the outside looking in, I didn't know much about the community. Um, just knew that their sports programs were very, very good. I know their baseball program has won multiple state championships. Uh, their basketball programs won multiple state championships. So just that excitement alone led me in that direction. And the the Fort Laramie program we've already mentioned, tradition rich. It it's interesting, Corey, because it feels to me like if you coach basketball at Fort Loramie and, and in my time being around Fort Loramie basketball, whether it was when I was competing with them when I was at Jackson center or just being, you know, fairly close to the program since then. I mean, to me, Fort Loramie basketball starts with, with Dan Hagemeyer and, and the success that he had there. But uh, I thought Jason Chateau did a really good job. Obviously Eric Gabriel was there a very short time uh, and did a really nice job as well. Um, but it feels like no matter who, who you are or, or how long the time frame is that you're there or how long it's been since he's been there, it just feels like there's a little bit of a, of a Dan Hagemeyer-shaped shadow over the program, and everybody tries to compete with that, uh, that era and that success level. Um, when you come into the program where you don't have necessarily that, that deep understanding or that close connection to the program, and you just know you're going into a good program, um, Talk a little bit about, you know, the process of being awarded the job, but what did you kind of view as the priorities that you wanted to get accomplished to, to and again, I hate using this term, but to make it your program? Well, I think the, the first thing that sticks out about the whole job process is it was the most intense interview process I've ever been on. Um, they were particular. They asked specific questions. They had the biggest interview panel I've ever seen. Um, we had, I think there was eight, eight or nine people on the interview committee. Um, it just wasn't typically your principal or your athletic director or uh, maybe another community member. I mean, there was eight different people on the interview committee. It was um, thorough. They made sure you had your eyes, your T's crossed and your eyes dotted. Um, and it was stressful. Um, but it also helped after my first interview going into the second one, I, I had people I could rely on again. And, and I'm grateful for those people. I was able to call coach Ernst to um, his dad played at Fort Loramie. He grew up in Minster. So he knew all the background of the Fort Loramie program. And he I probably talked to him for probably 40 to 45 minutes one night um, and just getting the history aspect of everything and he gave it to me and, it, and that was incredibly beneficial. And um, I also called Scott Elkert again to see, you know, is it, would it be a good fit or what his opinions were on the program? And, and he was, I mean, Scott's a straight shooter. So he, he gave it to me just the way it was too. So I had, I had more after my first interview, I had a lot more knowledge and understanding of, of the program and the, and the history and, and how things work at Fort Lormie going into the second interview, which was very beneficial. And then once I got the job, the putting my own stamp on it, I don't, I don't think there's a shadow with, uh, Meyer, but there's also the pinnacle of success that is the ultimate goal. 
He won two state championships. Um, that's that's what you want to do. So I don't think it's a shadow more than just the goal. Um, he's he was incredible at Fort Warmie. He's and he's been incredible everywhere. Winning the state championship at New Knoxville. He's got St. Mary's program rolling again. So I mean, he's he's an extremely good coach. But I I, I just want to do things my way. Um, I, I wanted our kids to play hard. I wanted them to enjoy basketball. I wanted us to, to compete at a high level. Um, and I, I think we've done that for the most part over six years. Well, I don't think there's any question about that. And you talk about doing things your way. And, and it, maybe it, you addressed it a little bit. Maybe this is too specific of a question. But I, I've always believed, Corey, that coaches can have a philosophy and they can have a style of play. And those two things aren't necessarily the same. Your style of play can change and your philosophy can evolve, but your philosophy is going to be based on some core values, if you will, or some foundational principles, whatever term you, you, you choose to use. When you talk about doing things your way, what, what do you, what do you take into your coaching philosophy as your foundational things? What are the foundations of what you believe? Well, I mean, what I believe now is, is probably different than what I believed six years ago when I was 25 years old, getting the, the first big job of my career. But, um, you know, we wanted to go in, we wanted to play man-to-man defense. Um, and to be honest, I went in with the idea that we were going to defensively, we were going to switch everything across the board and it'd be difficult to score against because we had some good size. And my assistant coaches didn't care for that idea. And they worked on me and they worked on me. And, you know, we, I give them a lot of credit to the way we play defense now. Um, Jim Meyer and Ryan Goldschmidt and Jordan Plyman, those those guys changed my defensive philosophy the first two years there. Um, and we started hedging things and, and being more aggressive with trapping and pressing and doing things like that. I'm a little conservative when it comes to those areas, but those my assistant coaches had a great impact on me my first couple of years at Fort Laramie. And, and offensively, we wanted, to, we wanted to spread the floor a little bit. We wanted to push the basketball and we didn't want to be afraid to shoot three a little bit and uh, extend the floor. And we've we've done we've we probably shoot more than we should, but uh, we we we're not afraid to shoot the shoot the basketball. Well, you, you, and you mentioned something I, I find interesting is that you you uh, were influenced and allowed your assistant coaches to have a voice and really contribute to the evolution of your program. Talk a little bit, if you would, about what it was like putting together a staff. Uh, early on and, and, and trusting in some guys that you maybe didn't know very well. I mean, you just mentioned some guys that are uh, Fort Loramie names. I mean, they, they, they are local people. And so talk about coming into that situation and, and putting together your first staff and, 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 and developing that kind of relationship with your staff. That, that was the biggest piece of the puzzle when I uh, took the job at Fort Loramie is who was going to be my staff and, and who could I bring on that I could trust and, um, luckily for me, uh, the first person I was able to get was uh, Ryan Goldschmidt, who was a player in the late 90s, early 2000s, a terrific shooter. He ended up going to play baseball at Wittenberg, but he's a sells insurance within our community. Um, he did at the time. Now he's a, actually a teacher at the school. But uh, getting Ryan was, was a big piece of the puzzle. He's a incredible, intelligent, uh, super intelligent basketball mind. Um, relates to the kids so well and that was a just a monster piece and and number one it was my first community member which for me was super important as 
try to establish myself within the community to get another community member to, to buy in and what we were trying to accomplish. And then uh, I was able to get Jordan Plyman um, as our JV coach. Um, Jordan was all Ohio, went to Wright State and played. Um, super passionate. Um, really did a great job and still does it within our program. He, he actually does all of our youth stuff now. Um, with our first through fourth graders and also our junior high coach. Um, but his his impact just teaching post moves and post defense um, was eye-opening for me um, and had, I mean, just transformed the way we defend down there now. And then my last piece of the puzzle was Jim Meyer, who was a longtime freshman coach that got out of it because he had some young kids and we got him to come back and he helped me run our defense. Ryan helped me run our offense. And, and Jordan handled a lot of just the little things during games. And we, our staff was together for our first four years um, before uh, they had little ones and they needed some time away. But those first four years, I didn't put that staff up against anybody in the state of Ohio. They were incredible. Um, and luckily for me, because I had those relationships and we're all super close still, um, they were able to, to give me some help when they stepped away. I, I, I still have a great staff. Joe M. Wally, who was my junior high coach for the first four years, now helps me um, as my varsity assistant. And uh, we got a couple younger guys, Ryan uh, Kanapke and Josh Sager. Um, Hannah and a Versailles name have uh, moved into, the, into our community and do a great job with our J, JV and freshman programs. And then we got a, a teacher in, in the building now that's our freshman coach and Jared Hennon. So, but my, my first year, those, those four were uh, pivotal to our success. There's no doubt about it. And, and you said at the first four years, I mean, that, that's really the nuts and bolts of getting established what you want to establish. And you, you've established some things, obviously, Corey, I mean, districts and regional tournaments are, are the expectation uh, because the goal obviously is to win a state title at Fort Laramie. So districts and regionals, are the expectation and, and the route that you follow. We talk a lot in Northwest Ohio about the difficulty of getting out of districts in Northwest Ohio because of the familiarity with the teams that you play from your same league. And you're in the same boat. Your sectional is going to be brutal. Your district, you're going to be seeing teams that you're familiar with. Talk a little bit, if you would, about uh, what it's been like getting to the place that you have. You've found a consistent level of success and, and the tournament uh, you know, hasn't always been the kindest to you, but talk about what it's been like just growing through that process and the, the tournament route that you guys have to go. I've, I've always heard the coaches over the years, um, in my first couple of years, say, if you can get out of Piqua, you have a chance to do just about everything and anything. And um, that's just such an incredible true statement. Our Piqua sectional, um, and they do things a little bit different in southeastern Ohio. You play three or southwest Ohio, you play three sectional games to get to a district championship game. So, whether you want to call your third game a sectional championship or a district semifinal, however you'd like to break it down, um, with the verbiage, but um, it's incredibly difficult. You got all five Shelby County League schools minus Anna because they're division three. And then you throw in um, a couple CCC schools or um, a Troy Christian, who was in ours last year. Um, and Sonia has been, been pretty good the last couple years. 
Uh, it's it's a grind, and you got to win three games to get out of Piqua to play in a district championship game, and then in the district championship you're going to play somebody else with with 20 wins. Um, I, I think it was my third year at Fort Loramie. We had 20. We we won 20 20 games that year. Rushi won 20 games that year. Jackson Center won 20 games that year, and Fairlawn won 20 games that year. All four of us, we played Rushi in the sectional finals, and Jackson Center played Fairlawn in the sectional finals, and we were like fifth, eighth, twelfth, and fourteenth in the state, and only two teams got out of our sectional. So that's just the grind and, and the toughness of it all, and it's incredibly difficult. So getting out of Piqua, um, we don't take that for granted any year. Luckily for us, we've been able to do it the last five years, and the district tournament is – it's, it's a pretty cool experience down in Southwest Ohio. Um, you get to play at UD Arena. Uh, I don't know if there's a better venue in high school basketball to play. That place is awesome. Um, just walking down the ramp into the arena, kids get goosebumps and, and are excited to play. Um, nothing against how Northwest Ohio does it. I mean, when I was at McComb, we played at Liberty Benton, and it was packed to the rafters. It was an incredible environment. There's just something different about playing in the college arena. So, um and then, and then the regional tournament, you, you're going to get a Mac school or uh, somebody up in that area. Um, this year, we got a Columbus school over, so it's it's never easy. I mean, obviously, the further you go, the tougher it gets, and um, hopefully, we'll be able to bust through it one day. Well, you, you you've had uh, tremendous opportunities, but it is incredibly difficult. And you talked about something. I thought getting out of Piqua, I you know, you you've had to have been in Shelby County to have heard that phrase as often as it gets repeated. Get If you can get out of Piqua, if you can get out of Piqua. I mean, it was 20 years ago that I was at Jackson Center, and what was interesting was not only did the community understand the challenge of getting out of Piqua, but but the kids embrace it. You know, the, the, the two years I was at Jackson Center, we had two wins in the regular season both years, and we go to the, the sectional, and, and the guys are – they got new life in practice. It's like this is a great opportunity, and and, and as tough as the year was – we're, we're competing and, and losing on the last couple of possessions to Anna one year and Mechanicsburg the other year uh, to get into that sectional final to try to play that third game to get out of Pickwood. It's, I don't know, it just, you know, every area has its culture and culturally down there, particularly in Shelby County, it, it, it's a respected part of the process. Getting out of Pickwood was a challenge. And, and the sad part of that in some ways, Coach, is that a, a great regular season can boil down to an absolute immense amount of pressure getting out of that building. Correct. And I, I agree with you wholeheartedly uh, about this, the second life when you get to Piqua. My, our first year, we, we were uh, fifth, 13 and eight finishing the regular season. Uh, we won our first two tournament games and we played Jackson center for the third time. And I thought we played really, really well outside of about three minutes at the end of the third quarter. And, about the first minute of the fourth quarter, and it was the difference in the ball game. In my second year at Fort Lormie, we actually have a losing record going into Piqua. I think we were uh, ten and twelve at the end of the regular season. We were super young, and we beat Mississippi Valley in the sectional semifinals, and we played Rushi, who was sectional champs, and they swept us twice during the regular season, and we beat them at the at, at the last second with a block shot and got us to the district finals and. Uh, I think that that win right there really really allowed our, our kids to believe that you know what we were doing um, worked and gave us extra life and a huge momentum boost for the next couple of years. 
the other side of, of, of competing in Shelby County, you know, we talked about the postseason, but the other side of competing in Shelby County is the, the true round robin in the league plus your non-league schedule is going to be brutal. But what I'm always fascinated with in Shelby County is, you know, Coach Elkert does what he does at Jackson Center, and they, they've got an identity and a, a very uh, readily owned identity, and they are who they are. Uh, you know, Sean is at Botkins now, and they're playing a certain style, and it's a little different maybe than, than what you would see from, from Jackson Center, certainly. Anna's become a, a tr- now a year in, year out, a very good program. Fairlawn is kind of – uh, in a good place right now. But it feels to me like, Corey, that everybody you're going to have to compete with in that league, there's a real variation in style of play. Can you talk a little bit about the challenge of, of the top of the league being so varied? Yeah, I, everybody sort of has their own uh, unique take on and what they're trying to do with their programs. I mean, um, Anna, the last couple of years, has, has really got out and uh, defended full court picked up the tempo and really getting out in transition and making it tough on you that way. Um, Jackson Center, I mean, as you said, I mean, you just you get to 40 and you, and you think you had a successful night against them. Um, and then Bakken's plays, I think, a, a pretty unique style of defense. And, and they have really good athletes that can really shoot the basketball. Um, and Fairlawn's got really good players coming through right now. And then they like to switch up defenses. Um, and Rushi will play the one-three-one and, and and run their high-low stuff that that's been ultra successful over the years. And and Houston's coach does a great job. I mean, he he really does. I, I remember the year we went twenty and two during the regular season. We played them the first game of the round robin, and and we beat them by almost forty-five and scored eighty points. And the second time we played them, they played four quarters against us, and we were up five to one at the end of the first quarter. So just the, everybody in our conference is. It's very well schooled, very well coached, and and nothing comes easy. And if you take a night off, you're going to get beat. And that's just as simple as that. I mean, we were we were middle of the pack this year, and Rushi finished at the bottom of the conference. And to be honest, they they played better than we did. They we just made one more shot at the end than they did that night, and we beat them by three, I think, at our place this year. So I mean, and it's it's a grind. Um, and if you're not prepared, you're going to get beat, and that's just the way it goes. I want to talk a little bit about that preparation piece, if you don't mind. Because of your experience at the college level as a, as a student assistant and, and the work that you had to do with video, and you talked about the evolution in technology, uh, can you talk a little bit about what you do with video? How much do you use it with your team, You know, obviously, versus how much you watch? Is it a tool that you spend a lot of time with with your players in preparation? Do they see a lot of video? Do you use it as a teaching tool, or is it more something you use before you go on the floor with them? Uh, to be honest, we, we do a little bit of both. Um, most of our scouting reports are, are, are visual, if that makes sense. We we break down clips of who we're going to play and the, and the positives and negatives, the strengths and weaknesses of our teams that we're going to play. Um, and we show those kids. I mean, we'll still do a paper copy a little bit. Um, but it's not nearly as detailed as the video. Um, we watch video um, before every game, whether it's a home game or before we get on the bus, we'll, we'll, we'll watch uh, the highlight tape, as we call it, of our opponent. Um, as for watching video of ourselves, it just depends on the week. If we, if we play a Tuesday, if we played a double weekend and we're bouncing back with a Tuesday, there's just not a whole lot of time to do it. But, you know, if we played only on Friday, we might pull them in on Monday and practice for an hour and then watch – 
some game tape of the follow previous weekend of the positives and negatives. And that's been one of the greatest parts about the staff that I had. I mean, we had we had a great staff last year, and I think halfway through the year we we divvied up our schedule last year, and everybody watched two games and we clipped positive and negatives from each game and showed our kids the things we do well and the things that we need to improve on. So that was a uh, very beneficial there. So we do a lot, probably probably more with the video than I than I ever dreamed about doing, but it's an, it's an incredible tool right now and it's awfully easy to well, I, and I, I, I guess I kind of expected to hear that answer, and, and I wanted to kind of get your take on this. And, you know, when when I certainly when I came through college and started my career, and I, I think maybe even when you got started in college, it, it felt like at that time, you know, player notebooks were important and the guys were putting things on paper and things were in binders. And you talked about having a lot of your stuff in binders that you keep. But I hear consistently and continually that, that for the most part, players don't learn that way anymore. They don't, the paper, the hard copies of things aren't as important. Um, has it been your experience that guys are going to buy in a little more to the video stuff and, and the digital things than they would maybe the paper copies of stuff? I think so. I mean, it, you can tell the kids over and over that, hey, this person's going to shoot the ball five feet behind the three-point line. We have to go guard them out there. But do they really understand it? Well, when you watch tape and you see player A takes five three-pointers from back there and he makes three, well, then, yeah, you got to go guard him. So the visual aspect, um, I just think, is, is huge. And to be honest, it's just sort of the where we're at with our day and age with social media. There's videos everywhere, and kids are on their phones all the time. So this is just another way to sort of tap into what they're already comfortable with. And same thing applies to you as a coach, though, that, that there's so many more resources that are digital and video and things. And, and we'll talk a little bit about this in two parts. When you when you go back to I mean, you've been a head coach now for about a decade um, and you go back to your the beginning of your time at when you started at Reedsville Eastern to today. Talk a little bit about your evolution as a coach, uh, what maybe has changed for you or evolved in how you go about doing things, and what are the kind of go-tos for you? What are the resources that, that you use? I mean, clinics aren't nearly as, as big of a deal as they used to be because of the, the availability of online sort resources and video. Uh, maybe you've got mentor coaches, other guys, but what when you look at your evolution, the things about you as a coach that have changed, uh, discuss that a little bit, but then w what are the resources that you rely on for you to continuing to grow as a coach? Well, I, I think you, you sort of touched on it. The relationships with other coaches are huge. Um, I remember preparing for the district tournament back at Reedsville Eastern, having to drive an hour one way to go pick up a DVD and an hour the other way to go pick up another DVD. I mean, now you, you can send somebody a text message and it's in your email box within the next five seconds, which is just an incredible time saver and a game changer, to be honest. Um, but I, as far as resources, I mean, there's there's so many out there. It's hard to touch on just one. Uh, I don't I don't think the coaches' clinics are, are a terrible thing. Um, I think there's some really really good ones out there. Uh, to be honest, the best ones that I've were able to do was this spring um, with our uh, Ohio Basketball Coaches Association doing the virtual ones. I mean, that was. That was about as good as it got. I mean, we had Chris Holtman on there. We had uh, Winthrop's Pat Kelsey on there one day. We had uh, um, Lipscomb's coach on there. I mean, that was that was great. Um, just learning and 
talking a little bit about X's and O's and then, and then just not being afraid to reach out to people that you, that you don't know yet. Um, I mean, I, I sent a couple emails to some people that I was intrigued about how they do things offensively and they were division two college basketball coaches. And it was amazing how fast they, they got back to me um, and sent me video and sent me papers and um, X's and O's drawings just to help me along. I mean, it's, the thing that got me so excited, and I know we talked about this before, about being on this podcast, is just the way you described the brotherhood of coaching. I mean, everybody in the coaching community, yeah, you want to win, but you want to see kids succeed. And I think it's important to share ideas and talk to one another. And A good friend of mine, Nick Kuhn, is the head coach at uh, uh, Mount Vernon High School. He played at Finley for five years and was on the national championship team. He put together a a coaching clinic this spring with um, some really, really, really good high school basketball coaches and just to be able to sit back on a Zoom meeting and listen to them talk about how they go about their youth programs or their practices or their fundraising stuff was uh, was beneficial to me. I mean, I'm, I'm still learning. I'm, I, I'm 31 years old and hopefully I have a lot of time ahead of me. So I'm just getting into the beginning of my coaching career. So if I can learn from people that have been doing it for 20 to 25, 30 years, uh, I'll only be, uh, I'll only be benefiting our kids that way. Well, and, and Corey, you said something, uh, you used a, a phrase repeatedly there that I, I, I hope people pick up on is you talked about reaching out to coaches about how they do things. You talked about coaches sharing how they run their, uh, you know, feeder program and elementary programs. And I, I think too often coaches get caught up in what people do. And you can see what somebody does by watching a game and you can see what they do by watching some video clips. But the how they do it is the important part. That That's where coaching comes in, because what people do matters. But if you don't have a grasp on how they do it, you're probably not going to get good at it. You're probably not really going to make it a part of your program that that's really impactful because the what isn't nearly as important as the how. And I think that's incredibly valuable. And I'm glad you you, you phrased it that way. So, uh, Coach Britton, we, we, we're kind of reaching the end of our time here, and I, we could go on for a long time. I've got some notes over here of several things I didn't ask about that I uh, would have liked to. But when you look ahead after coming through the, the pandemic that we're still kind of hopefully getting toward the end of here and the, the truncated season and the, the, the oddity that was the spring and summer, just talk briefly as we wrap up about what you see ahead of you, where you are with your kids, how you're able to, to – or how you were able to spend some time with them this summer – uh, as odd as it was, and what are you looking for as you head into next year? Where do you think things stand with your program? First and foremost, I just I just want and wish for the opportunity for our kids. Um, I just want them to have an opportunity to compete and an opportunity to play a game that they love, especially uh, we have seven seniors this year, so this is their last go-around. Um, five of them, well, six of them have lettered um, at the varsity level already, so we have a we have a good nucleus coming back. But um, I I just want to just want to watch our kids compete. Um, it's it's a joy of mine to be around them every day and and to get to know them and help them mold into men. Um, so that's my first and foremost. Uh, what we were able to accomplish this summer was a lot of like everybody else. We we uh, did a lot of skill work. Um, we're in the gym together in uh, June, and then most of July we just had open gyms and. And they were pretty competitive. I was I was really impressed to watch our kids play against one another. Sometimes 
playing in open gyms for two straight months can get old, but our kids got after it. There was a, there was a, a lot of high competitive basketball being played, which is uh, which is great to see and gets me excited about our season. And then, and moving forward, looking into this year, um, we're excited. Um, you know, we we thought we ended last year on a really high note. Um, I thought we played really really well against Columbus Wellington in the regional tournament. We just couldn't make a shot. I mean, holy smokes, we missed at least 11 point-blank shots that on any other night we make. And if we would have made them last year at that time, we, we would have we would have been playing for a regional championship or what would have been a regional championship. But that's just how things go sometimes. And we bring back a lot of our nucleus. We only lose two seniors from last year's team um, and one starter. So we think we have a chance to be uh, competitive and, and play at a high level. But at the same time, our area brings back just about every really good basketball player. Um, our conference will be as good. I thought it was really good last year. It might be even better this year. Um, and then our non-league schedule, we play most of the MAC teams, the Marion Locals, the St. Henry's, the Versailles of the world, um, New Bremen's. They'll be all very, very good. We picked up Convoy Crestview next year with one of the best players in the country. So, I mean – there's no nights off, and if we're not ready to go and mentally, mentally in the right headspace, we're we're going to be in for some long evenings. But for our kids, I mean, we wouldn't want it any other way. We're going to go compete. And we'll we'll play the best of our abilities, and if it's good enough, great. And if we played really well and you still come up on the short end of the stick, then we'll live with that as well. Well, Corey, for a 31-year-old guy, you've got, I think, a, a tremendous amount of experience behind you. But more importantly, I think just from from what I've known about you and the conversations we've had, it, it, it feels like you've gained a remarkable perspective uh, for a guy your age and, and focusing on what you can control and, and letting the outcome be what it may, but doing the best you can in the process to be as, as prepared as you can to play as well as you can. And it's difficult sometimes when you're in the pressure cooker and you feel like you need to win. It's difficult to let go of and accept that sometimes the ball just doesn't go in the basket, but that doesn't necessarily reflect on how you played. And hearing you say that is an indication that you've got a pretty good perspective on things. And I know this spring and summer have been brutally difficult on uh, – it's been difficult on everybody. It's been particularly difficult on coaches and their programs. And so I want to thank you again for joining the podcast and wish you the best of luck with the what you've got left here uh, in the fall and, and hoping for a full – uh, quote unquote normal season for you guys because what you've got ahead of you sounds like it could be a tremendous amount of fun and I know for a fact that if I get the opportunity on a Tuesday or Friday to get down and see a Shelby County League game when I'm when I don't when I when my son isn't playing uh, you can count on seeing me pop in your gym if it's at all possible I'd love to come down and catch a practice uh, if we get that opportunity and and uh, maybe just watch how you guys go about your business. But I uh, just want to say thanks again for being on the podcast, and hopefully we can can keep in touch here through the fall and get you into a, a winter that looks somewhat normal, buddy. I appreciate it so much. It's, it's been a true honor and a privilege to be on today, and thanks for thinking about me. Absolutely. It's a good time. We'll do it again soon, I hope. All right. Thank you, John. All right. Later. Thanks so much for listening again today. If you would like to listen to previous or future episodes of the Talking Hoops with Coach John Cook podcast, you can listen on Spotify or Google Podcasts as well as several other podcast platforms. 
please review, rate, and subscribe. And if you would like to support the podcast financially, you can do so at anchor.fm backslash john-cook. That's J-O-N-C-O-O-K-0. Anchor.fm backslash john-cook0. Thanks again. Hope to talk hoops with you again real soon.